Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Rhetorical question, no. Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken, uh, that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So both wives agree. Both wives are like, go for it, Jake. Let's get out of here. Let's, let's take Laban's riches and leave. And so that brings me to number six, the sixth characteristic, which is really more for married couples. But this is that if God is leading you to do something, he will give your spouse the peace about it. You guys will both be on the same page. It's been said that God is not in the business of separating families. God will not call you to do something that will drastically harm your relationship with your husband or your wife. Sometimes it takes time for both of you to be on the same page, but God is not looking to separate your marriage. That's something God has joined together and let not man separate. Verse 17, So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. So Jacob packs up. He's like, great, we got the green light. I'm packing up and we're leaving right now. Now, something to understand about Jacob's trip back to the land, the promised land, and that is, as I said before, with Abraham, their holiness, their sanctification to walk in the covenant of God, it was also geographical, right? They were to be in the promised land. That was the land of the covenant for them. So Jacob, get this guys, he could not continue in the covenant of God, which was found in the land of Canaan, and remain in the land of Laban. A separation was going to have to take place. He could not stay where he was. And that's characteristic number seven if you're taking notes. And that is, you might reach a point where it becomes clear to you that you cannot remain where you are and continue in God's will. You cannot remain where you are and continue to honor God because maybe the environment is causing you to stumble too much. Maybe you know you're supposed to be functioning in these giftings and, it's, and, and this job is keeping you from those giftings and those abilities. But you will you have the realization, I cannot, I cannot continue in God's plan for my life and stay here at the same time. That could be another way God speaks to you to bring you out into a new season. And as we'll see here, guys, it brought conflict. It's going to bring division and pain for these people involved here. And I I want to camp out on this real quick if I could because this is an important concept for the church, for us in this day and age that we're living. And that is, guys, as the church... There, there is a time to go out into the world and build bridges and make peace with the non-believing world. There's a time for that, absolutely. But there's also a time to come out from among them and separate yourself and be different, even to the point of breaking peace. 
even to the point of conflict and losing friends. There's a point in time where where the Lord calls us to do that. When is that time, Sean? When exactly is it time to break peace with the world? I'll tell you that it's when the world's conditions for peace come at the expense of God's covenant for you. And we're seeing that today. It's when the peace with the world requires you to forsake God's word. That's when it's time to break peace. That's when it's time to draw a hard line. And I want to tell you guys, we are living in that season right now. The outside world, the non-believing world has already drawn lines. They've drawn their lines. And they've said, you, you think how we think or, or we're going to reject you as a culture. And I believe, guys, I firmly believe this in the seasons that we've been through the last year and a half as I've prayed for things and felt convicted and burdened and watched churches and, and pastors and leaders speak and do their thing. I'm, I'm convinced that in this season, the Holy Spirit is not calling the church to bend over backwards for unity for the non-believing world. I don't sense that's what God is leading us to do. I believe that the message the Holy Spirit is calling the church to do right now is to come out from among them and be separate. Come out and be different. Don't, don't try and show the world and, and cater to the world that you're cool and that you're progressive like they are. Because it will, that will hinder your, your effective witness for Christ. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but what they want to see, what real seekers want to see is a changed life. Someone who really lives what they believe. There was a time, guys, in our country when freedom did reign. There's been seasons in our country's history when it didn't matter what political background, what, what religious preference you had, you could all shop at the same place. You could all have a, a, a discussion, cordial discussion, without hatred, without rejection and canceling. But you don't see that anymore. We now live in a country, guys, where you're either expected to conform to their agendas, many of which are immoral and unbiblical agendas, you either conform to it or you're you're shamed. Conform to it or you'll be threatened and rejected. And it's the spirit of Antichrist, really, that's behind it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well right now in America. The same spirit that inspired Nero to burn Christians at the stake. The same spirit that inspired Hitler to murder Jews. I'm telling you guys, I'm not exaggerating. It's alive and well in in America today. And this spirit is calling Christians to renounce their faith or be rejected by the culture. That's really the ultimatum you guys are faced with right now. Quit posting Christian Bible verses Quit talking about God's definition of marriage. Quit talking about God's definition of race and equality. Quit talking about the sanctity of life in the womb because that's not, that's not real morals today. And if you continue to stand by the Word of God, you will be rejected. And they can go ahead and reject me, guys. And I hope you feel the same way. They can reject me because I intend to stand on God's truth. And not, not to make some bold stance just for the sake of freedom, but because that's what's most loving to the world. They need the truth of God's Word. They don't need soft Christians who are going to bend on all these biblical issues for the sake of catering to their interests. They need people who will love them enough to represent the truth. And I, I choose to stand and be one of those people at whatever expense. 
whatever expense. And we are living in a season, guys, where this window is closing. This, this season of, of being able to stand out and stand up for the truth is perhaps getting smaller and smaller, the opportunities shorter and shorter. Because if we keep heading in this direction as a nation and enough Christians continue to bend the knee and bow to the agenda of the world, to Caesar, there will be no one left to stand for the truth. There was a, a, a Christian bishop in Germany. Maybe he wasn't a bishop, but he was a public figure in Germany as a Christian. He was one of the Christians who kept silent during the Nazi takeover in the Third Reich as they took over the government in Germany. And he was eventually hauled off to a concentration camp. He was among the very last groups to be hauled off among the, to the concentration camps. And he has a famous quote, and I'm paraphrasing it. He said that when they came to haul off the Jews, I didn't say anything. Then when they came to haul off the next group of people, I didn't speak up for the truth. And then when they came in and took the next few groups of people, I, didn't, I stood idly by. And when they came to, to take me away, there was no one left to speak for me. And we are in a day where we have the opportunity to stand up and represent the truth of God's word. And it will come at the cost, at the expense. Just like Jacob, there is a time to come out from among them and be separate. And the time is now. Like the time is now. Make up your mind and stand for Christ. Stand for the truth. Jesus said about the seasons of persecution. He said, look, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He was preparing his disciples for that persecution. He said, guys, realize what I'm giving you is not meant to make everyone happy and get along. The truth I'm telling you, if you live it out, it will bring a sword. It will bring conflict in your life. It will, sooner or later. And he wasn't saying, I came so that you would have a sword. You go out and kill in the name of Christ. No, he's saying, if you follow this truth, it will bring a sword to you. Be prepared for that. So it's time for Jacob to go regardless of the conflict, regardless of the cost that comes about it, because it's time to return to the kingdom of God. And it's time for the church as well to return to the kingdom of God. Verse 19. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So as they get out of there quick, in secret, and Laban pursues them, God's like, hey, Laban, you better be careful how you deal with my boy. Watch yourself. Don't do anything you might regret, essentially is what he's, what he's telling Laban. Verse 25, and Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourines and, and lyres? You, you know, 
Maybe I, maybe I would have thrown a party for you guys, you know? I'd have like gotten the mariachi band and some mini chimichangas, right? And the guacamole with like the too much tomato chunks in it. He's like, maybe I would have done that. I mean, I've never done that before. It'd be frivolous spending. You know how I like to watch my checkbook, but hey, you know, you, it's too late now. You'll never know, I guess. He's like, I might have thrown you a party. Uh, maybe. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away? Verse 28, and why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Farewell. Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Watch yourself, Laban. So Laban's like, look, why did you sneak off? Why didn't, why didn't you let me say goodbye? I might have I kissed you guys and had it be a farewell thing. You know he wouldn't have let him go without a fight, without another push for manipulation. And then he presumptuously, sees, he presumptuously says, look, look, Jacob, it's in my power to harm you, which I think he's skirting the line pretty close there. God was like, don't say anything good or bad to him. Watch what you say. I feel like he kind of got pretty close to saying some bad stuff to him, Right? But not to say anything good or bad, that's, that's hard for a manipulator. That's, those are the two main tools in their tool belt, right? They'll either schmooze you and tell you how good you are, or they'll shame you and tell you how bad you are. But, and that, that's, Laban's like, I can't do either of those? You mean I just have to talk the truth and be open to him? Oh, it's going to be hard. So he, he threatens Jacob. He says, look, I, it is in my power to do you harm here. Jacob could have said to Laban exactly what Jesus said to Pilate. Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? When Pilate threatened him, he says, don't you know I have the power to release you or have you crucified? And and Jesus said, the only power you have has been given to you from above. Like the only way, the only power you have to harm me comes from the will of my Father. And if if you do harm me, it's because my Father has a purpose in it and he's allowed you to touch me. Jacob could have said the same thing. Look, if if you were able to take your sword out and slice me right now, it's because God allowed you to do it and God has a greater purpose in it. But it's not you. It's not you who's, who's overtaken me and has power over my life. My God has power over my life. And this brings me to number eight, the eighth characteristic, and that is God will protect you. God said he was going to go to Canaan. He told Jacob, you are going to Canaan and I will be with you. Guess what? That means Jacob was invincible between Padanaram and Canaan. Just like when Jesus said, we are crossing this lake and then this amazing storm breaks out and Jesus is sleeping in the, in the back of the boat and they're freaking out like they're going to die. And Jesus is like, what are y'all tripping about? I said we were going to get there, right? You know, and, and he's like, okay, I'll calm the storm. I was just testing your faith. He didn't really say that, but he calms the storm and he says, look, we were going to get to the other side. I said that. He's going to get to the land of Canaan. Laban has no power over Jacob at this point in time. But unfortunately, Jacob didn't realize that. And we see that in this next section. It says, verse 30, Now you have gone away because you have longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Now he says he didn't steal the idols. But he says, I left and fled because I was afraid. I thought you'd take your daughters by force from me. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say, guys, one way or the other, whether it was right or not for Jacob to just up and leave secretly like that. It doesn't. 
However, guys, typically when we act out of fear, we're not acting out of faith. Usually those are contrary. Your fear will typically lead you in, a, in the opposite direction of, the, of what faith will lead you in. And in fact, fear often causes you to act in haste. God doesn't often cause you to act in haste. When God is calling you to something, specifically something new or something huge for your life, it's not something that's a hasty decision. There's a track record behind it. There's a, like we said before, a preparation. There was an earlier desire and a, a path of, of provision for you to get there. That's typically how God works. The enemy, on the other hand, he likes to force you into hasty decisions. He likes to throw a temptation at you and you make a hasty decision. He likes to get you fearful and then have you act out of fear and say something you shouldn't have or do something you shouldn't. Typically, fear is the opposite direction of where faith will lead you. And God was definitely leading Jacob to go to Canaan, like no questions about it. However, it does seem that Jacob fled quickly out of fear rather than leaving openly in faith. It does, it does seem that to be the case. Verse 32, Jacob says, Will anyone with whom you find your God shall not live? In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And when he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's, now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. Uh, So he searched, but did not find the household gods. So she pulls a fast one. We know Jacob's a trickster, and Laban definitely is a trickster. But evidently, Rachel's got a little dose of it herself, doesn't she? But it is unfortunate, guys. Rachel steals these household idols. The, The... Family, the godly line of Seth that drifted into idolatry, she's now attempting to perpetuate. Now she doesn't. The lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they they have sons and they become they remain faithful to Yahweh. But this really shows us at this point in the game that, that Rachel valued these idols. Did she worship them or not? I don't know, but we know that she valued them, and here's how I know that. Some people will say, well, she was just stealing them from Laban so he, wouldn't, so he wouldn't worship the idols anymore. Or some say, maybe she was just stealing them to spite Laban. If either of those were the case, I think she had 10 days to trash them and to get rid of them. But apparently she wanted to keep them for some reason. She valued these idols. And that's tragic. And I just want to say that if your gods can be stolen from you, that's a sad thing. And if your God can be stolen, it's not really a God worth following. Money, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your job, success and popularity and all these things the world chases after, they can all be taken from you. They're, they're, they're very cruel gods. They're pathetic gods at the same time because they can be taken from you. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is the only God that will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one God no one can take from you. This world can, take every, can strip everything from you, but they can never take your relationship with the true and living God. One of the reasons being, He is really a God. These things are idols made out of wood, fashioned by some other guy who is like laughing his way to the bank because he just carved this little weird-looking man or woman, and now everybody worships it, and he made like, you know, 
two grand off that little thing or whatever it would be. These aren't gods. And they'll run your life. And they'll make wicked taskmasters. But Jesus Christ, He's merciful. Jesus says, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the God that we serve. A God that loves you and cares for you and will truly provide for you and meet your needs. Unlike these idols. Verse 36, Then Jacob became angry and and berated Laban. He just laid into him. You can see him just fuming as he's like searching his tents. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just let this guy have it. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found all of, in all of your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. And then he says, These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes, your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required, you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, in the heat consumed me, and the cold night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If, God, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So he's like, you know I'm not lying because my God went to you and threatened you himself and said, you better not mess with Jacob anymore. Verse 43 Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. That's his favorite word. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? But Laban, what does he do? He tries to make claim to the women and children of Jacob. And what he's doing is he's attempting to steal the future nation that was promised to Abraham. Do you realize that? All, these, all this offspring is mine, Jacob. And God's like, you believe this guy? Abraham was the one who was promised to receive the heir and the nation. It would belong to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Laban would be a distant relative. But here he is trying to take what is rightfully Abraham's. And I want to tell you guys, this is still going on today. There's a lot of people who believe in replacement theology and they believe that God is done with the nation of Israel. They're, done, they're forsaken. All the promises and good things about the Bible of the Old Testament really belong to the church, belong to me and you. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? That God can just change His mind about His promises and give them to whoever else He wants to? No, that doesn't sound great to me. But that's what they claim. Just like Laban here. No, yeah, that was for Abraham, but it's actually mine. It's for me. It's not going to work out for you. Because God is going to continue to maintain His faithfulness to the nation of Israel. Even though they're in a wayward state, many of them not even believers, very secular, He will bring them about, about, around to salvation and He will fulfill His promises for the nation of Israel. We can't, you can't just take Abraham's inheritance. You can't just take the nation of Israel's promises. Verse 44, Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let us be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather the stones. And they took the stones and made a heap. 
And they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Jegar Shaduth, which is heap of, what is it? I forget what it means. Heap of promise, I think. But Jacob called it Gilead, which means the same thing. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. For if you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God as witness between you and me. It's funny, like, he's like, hey, your God is the real deal, and he actually does see things, and if you wrong my daughters, your God will hold you accountable to that. Ooh, Laban is calling Jacob out on morals here, which is interesting to me. Like, I wonder if the fear of God isn't growing in Laban right now. So then Laban said to Jacob, uh, see, there's a heap pillar which I've set between you and me. Did we already read that? Um, the God of Abraham, the God of Mary. Where am I? So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, verse 54, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Uh, so everything's cool after that, and they had a little you know, campfire party. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned home. So Laban knows when he's beat, guys. He has been beat. And he can manipulate the smartest of men, but he's not going to manipulate God. He can't pull a fast one on God. So like, if you want to make yourself manipulation-proof, serve God. Let God be your defense. But God is Jacob's defense. Laban sees it. He realizes he can't thwart the plans of God, and he heads home. He packs his stuff, calls it a loss, and goes home with the tail, his tail between his legs. And just in closing, guys, just a thought... Laban represented the old family line of Abraham. Okay, going back to my introduction here, coming out of, the, of, of that godly, ungodly line to start something fresh, Laban represented that old line, that old way, the way things used to be done. But God is doing a new thing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's making a new nation that would represent him. And Jesus, Jesus told us an interesting story, a, a teaching about this concept. He said, no one takes a new piece of cloth, fabric, and sews it on an old garment to fix a hole. He says they don't do that. Why don't they do that? Because it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Because that, that new fabric is going to shrink and adjust at a different rate as the old garment, and it will pull away, and it will tear away. And the end of that hole will be worse than the beginning And when they tried to patch it. Similar to the wineskins teaching that Jesus taught. And in this chapter, Jacob represents this new patch of fabric that Laban in vain tries to sew on his old cloth. Tries to sew on his old, and patch up his old hole. It was inevitable. And it was destined that Jacob would tear away. And he's left the hole worse than it was before. Jacob, he's hurting. And now he knows God is God. Yahweh is the true and living God. And guys, I want to say that if we want to be a part of the new thing God is doing, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, we must recognize the time to come out from among the world. We need to recognize the time to set out and enter that new season. And we ought to be prepared to separate ourselves from the world for the sake of the kingdom, no matter what the cost. If we are to be the new wineskins, and that new patch of cloth that God will use to do something new with, then we need to emulate Jacob and be prepared to get up and go and obey no matter what it would cost. Even though there might be some tearing taking place.
So Father, we do want to just thank You again for Your guidance and direction that You don't leave us orphans. Lord, that so often we want to know the will of God and the character of God and when You've plainly given it to us in Your Word. And Your Holy Spirit guides us in these truths as we gather in Your name. Lord, may we not take these things for granted. So we thank You, God, for the Word You have spoken tonight. Lord, we pray that all that is of You would remain in our hearts, would abide in our minds, and would take and change us and take us from this place, Lord God, being more conformed to the image of Christ. And I pray for those in here whom You're doing, whom You're preparing for a new work, those who are listening, whom You're preparing to step out for something new in a new season. Give them boldness. Give them courage. Give them the assurance of the call. Give them the assurance that Jacob had that it was time to step out, Lord. Speak to them. Provide for them. Protect them on their way and be with them. And use them mightily, not merely for their sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. May our lives truly count for eternal greatness and glory. May we have the boldness to stand up and represent You, Jesus. May we not be counted among those who are ashamed to call themselves true Christians. May we not be, among, be called among those who were embarrassed to stand up for the truths of Your Word. But may we be bold like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and represent You and follow You wherever You lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.